Welcome, welcome to Parkview. We're uh, talking about Jonah around here these days, um, and uh, my young friend Lucas Anderson sent me this picture. He was looking for whales this week, intrigued by the story. He sent me this picture, he looked on the internet, found this picture of a blue whale, and he sent it to me because he said it looked like the whale was smiling. It does kind of look like that, right? Do you want to know why the whale was smiling? I'll tell you why the whale was smiling. It's because he heard this story about this little girl who was in class one day, and the teacher said, you know, she was talking about whales, and she was like, you know, just talking about all the qualities of whales, and she said, the whales have small throats. And she just made this comment. She said, there's no way that a whale could swallow anything big, like, for example, a human. And, uh, and, and the, the kid said, wait a minute, I... Um, what about Jonah and the whale? I mean, jo- Jonah was swallowed by a whale. It has to be possible. And the teacher, who was not a believer at all, kind of got irritated, and she reiterated, no, there's no possible way that a whale could swallow a human being. And the kid said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. <laughs> and the teacher said, well, what if he's not there? And the kid said, well, then you can ask him. That's why he's smiling. <laughs> Spending a couple of weeks talking about Jonah, crazy story. And again, I do believe it was a miracle. It would have had to have been a miracle one way or the other. You can believe it's an allegory if you want to. That's okay. But I take it for a, a, a literal. I take it for a literal reason that I will be talking to Jonah in heaven someday. And that's. I mean that in two different ways. Number one, because I believe that it, he's a real person. And, and number two, because I believe that. Um, even though what you're going to hear about Jonah today is kind of disturbing, that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah as an example for us to learn by. And he understood the things that he did wrong that he's going to tell us about. Last week he ran from God. There's more today. I just want you to know I think that he got it. Okay? That's why I believe he's in there. That's why he wrote this for us. And it's a fascinating story. This is going to blow your mind today if you've never heard this. Because I told you about how he ran from God, went all the way, you know, tried to go all the way to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh to run away from God. What I didn't tell you was that Nineveh was a really horrible place. I mean, these, are, these were the barbarians of their day, okay? I mean, these were, this was a merciless place that always did war against God. They were the enemies of God. They were evil people. They did horrible things. I know your mind goes immediately to Green Bay, but, but think deeper than that, okay? This, this was like a, a country under the rule of ISIS. You know what I'm saying? Not just a rebel subgroup, but a whole country that is like that. This is Nazi Germany. So Jonah said no to God and tried to run the opposite direction. Now that you know that, you realize, well, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Jonah had to have been a little bit afraid to go to Nineveh and preach about God in Nineveh in a place where they hate God and they kill people that love God. But it's deeper than that. And it sets us up for life on mission, which we're getting ready to start around here in a really interesting way. We left off with Jonah in the fish. As you saw from the cartoon, the fish spit him out on dry land, and God said, hey, Jonah, want to try that again? And Jonah said, yes, sir. Which way to Nineveh? And Jonah went to Nineveh. And he told the people that they needed to repent and turn to God. All right, crazy. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Um, that, that, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a phrase that means it was a big place as well. Uh, people, uh, the scholars believe there were at least a million people around in the, the, the town of Nineveh at this time. And it says, on the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, <laughs> I'm just imagining Jonah walking around. 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It feels Monty Python-ish to me, I don't know, but 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned, right? I mean, this is insane. He walks in and he says, God's going to strike you down if you don't change. I'm sure he was just like waiting for the arrow to come, you know, out of the corner somewhere as he's going around preaching this message. Here's the unbelievable part. The Ninevites responded. They believed. Listen, Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne, took off his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This was a symbol of repentance. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let everyone, people and animals, be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. What are the odds of that happening? I mean, let me put this in a modern-day perspective for you, okay? Modern-day perspective, this is me walking into ISIS headquarters, sitting down with al-Baghdadi and saying, listen, God told me to tell you he's going to take you out in 40 days if you don't knock it off. And having al-Baghdadi turn to me and say, really? Oh, man. Hey, you guys, you better lay your guns down and pray to a God that you've been waging war against all of your lives and pray this doesn't happen. I offer an invitation, we sing just as I am, and terrorists come streaming down the aisles. That's how weird this is. These people are barbarians. I'm sure that Jonah didn't think in a million years they were going to listen to him. But it brings me to something really important that I want you to know. And we're going to talk about it for the next several weeks as we do Life on Mission. I believe that the people of the world are way more ready to hear the message of salvation than the witnesses are to give it. Jesus said, look, the fields are white to the harvest. We need some more workers. I know that most of us assume that the people of the world are like, oh, whatever, I don't want church, I don't need Jesus, I don't want that. But I believe there's a lot of them out there that are searching. There's a hole inside of them that only God can fill, and we need to be giving them the good news message. We're just afraid. I don't know for sure why the Ninevites believed. you got to remember, Jonah would have been <laughs> convincing. Where'd you come from? Well, I was in a fish for three days. Yeah. His skin would have been like acid washed. I mean, his hair would have looked like last year's Miley Cyrus cut, you know? I mean, it would have just been bizarre looking dude, wouldn't he? I mean, this guy walks in, it would have been crazy. He would have been believable. But even so, it's still an insane story. For some reason, they took Jonah seriously and they repented. And it brings us to a very good point for all of us to learn. And here it is. If God wants you to do something, he will prepare the way. I think a lot of times we feel like, well, I don't want to go talk to that person, or I don't want to love my neighbor, or I don't want to serve that person because I'm afraid of how they were going to react. Listen, if God tells you to go do something, he's already prepared the way. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. There's no way he thought the Ninevites were going to respond to him, but God had already set that up. On a personal level, one of the things that we need to realize is that when God prompts us, to share our faith, to talk about the reason for the hope that we have, there's a reason for it. It's because he's already prepared that person's heart. And they might not respond the way that we think they're going to respond, and they may not you know, come streaming down the aisle to just as I am, but God set that up, 
It's not our problem. We need to do something about it. So that's why, uh, starting week after next, we're going to start going through my book. I wrote a book, Life on Mission, because this is my heart. If you can't tell from what I'm getting ready to say today, you won't ever understand who I am. My heart is that the church of Jesus becomes a people, a church full of people who have their life on mission. It's not about everybody coming here a preacher. It's not about everybody see Billy Graham on TV. It's about all of us having people around us that we go to with our lives on mission. And that's how it got started in the early church. It wasn't about a church. It was about the people. It was about the people that gathered together. And there were 3,000 of them on the very first day. And none of them knew what they were doing. They weren't trained. They didn't have any idea. But here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. That's what they did. They still went to the temple and had their services, but they gathered together. They gathered together with one another so that they could share with each other, they could eat with each other, they could listen to the apostles' teaching together. And the reason they were connected was because that's how God wanted it to be. That's how Jesus modeled it. Jesus watched, they watched Jesus walk around with 12 people all the time and spend all his time with them. And when he needed support, who did he go to? It was his small group in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked them to come and pray with him. Yeah, they fell asleep, but they were, they were the ones that he wanted to be around him. That's how it went, and so they took that model and they kicked it off. So i got to ask you, who's your small group? Who's your support group? Who's around you? We're kicking off Life on Mission week after next, and what, I want, what I've done here is I put together a six-week curriculum. I've done all the DVD teaching on here. We've got a workbook for you to go through and a hardback book for you to read along the way, and uh, we put that all together so that for six weeks what's going to happen is I'm going to preach it. And then you guys are going to go watch the DVD. You're going to read the book. You're going to watch the DVD and answer the questions and do it all together. We're going to, we're going to bring earth to heaven. We're going to, take, we're going to bring heaven to earth, and we're going to take earth to heaven. That's what we do, okay? And we're going to use this to move ahead. But here's, here's what's really important. You need a small group. Small groups, your people around you are the miracle grow to your spiritual life. You can come and get fed here if you want, and that's great, but you need to have some other people around. So what I want to encourage you to do, take this thing out of your bulletin right now. Just pull it out so you can look at it. And here's what we're going to do. I want you to commit. I want you to commit to gathering together with at least one or two other people each week for an hour or so and go through this material. I spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of money putting this thing together. And all you got to do is put this together, go throw, find a place to throw it in a DVD player, your laptop, whatever. Get a place at Starbucks, hang out together in your office on your lunch hour, get together with just two or three other people. That would be it. You plus two people could be a small group. I, a lot of you are going to look at this and you're going to say, oh, well, I, you know, I'm too scared to invite new people into my home and, you know, have 15 people here and I don't know what's going to happen. That's okay. You could be a new host and be open to other people. You could study with family and friends and just do it your own way or, or tell us you're a current leader. But I want you to fill this out and take it to the Life on Mission people in their blue t-shirts um, that say Life on Mission and tell them what you're going to do and get the material and, and go for it. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. I'm in their midst. So it doesn't have to be something crazy. It could just be your family. It could just be the people that you already hang out with. And if you're willing to do that, fill out that card and let us know so we can know what you're doing. Get the material and let's do it. Take it to the Life on Mission booth and go for it. Because here's, again, what I'm saying is I believe that God has prepared some people around all of your people who need the gospel. They need the good news. 
They don't need you to, to, to know the Bible. They don't need you to know how to answer all the hard questions in life. They just need to know that somebody actually believes this stuff. That's all they need. And if you will pray about it, God will open the doors. He did Nineveh. I mean, if you've been praying for someone, ask him to open the door and see what happens. You don't have to run from God anymore. Run with Jesus and see what happens. When your Sunday school teacher taught you about Jonah, it was probably don't run from God, right? That was the story. And it is a wonderful story, but there's more to it. Like, for example, what we learn about God along the way. Listen to this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. And he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Did you catch that? I set this up. Didn't I? Ninevites are horrible, nasty people. They don't deserve to be saved. And God saved them. It's a great story. God tells Jonah to go do something. Jonah says, no, I'm afraid. I don't want to, whatever. God says, no, you really need to do it. Here's a fish. Swallows him. Spits him back out again. Jonah goes, goes and does it. The Ninevites say, oh, okay, cool. And... Bada boom, bada bing, here we are. What do we learn about that? (coughs) What we learn about that is that God loves the whole world, not just the parts we're comfortable with. God loves the whole world, not just the parts we're comfortable with. Jonah had incredible insight into God's character. He said, I know that you're gracious and merciful, God, that you're slow to anger, abundant and loving kindness that you're one who relents from doing harm. You realize that that's who God is because if you go back and see Moses' first description from God, the first time God ever explains himself to anyone, it is this. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood in front of Moses and told him his name. He said, I am the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. I am slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's how God described himself to us. It's not to say that God doesn't punish, that he doesn't discipline, but when he does, it's only to bring us back, not to pay us back. We talked about this last week. It's only to bring us back, not to pay us back. He loves us. He loves us because we are his children. And please don't miss this. He can't help but love you. Some of you walked in here today, some of you are watching me, and you are sure that God couldn't possibly love you because you've done all these horrible things. I just told you that God went into a city of a million people and he was going to wipe them out because they were so evil, and all they had to do was turn around and go back to him, and he forgave them because that's who he is. He can't not like you. Such a great story. If Jonah would have left out the last chapter, it would be such a great story. I want to be careful with this because as I read this, I know that um, some of you are going to be confused because you're going to think, man, Jonah's not a good guy. But he is a good guy because he wrote this down for us to show us all of the bad attitudes he has along the way. Can I just say this? I can't stand preachers that preach down to me. 
Can I get an amen from you? Okay. If I ever start preaching down to you, will you just like stand up and put your hand out or something or yell you know, something at me or, or do whatever? Because I never want to give an impression that I got it figured out. Well, I'm an author now. Oh, look at me. I got a book. Whatever. I, I never want to give you that kind of an impression because I want you to know that I struggle with the same things that you do. And Jonah wrote this book for us. This is his book. I'll get his autograph on it someday. He wrote this book for us to show us some of the bad things that he had to wrestle with. Here we go. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That, what's the that? This compassion that God has, this mercy, this forgiveness for Nineveh, That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So if you're thinking, did I hear that right? You heard it right. Jonah did not run from Nineveh because he was afraid of them. Jonah ran from Nineveh because he didn't like them. And he knew enough about God that he was afraid that if he actually went and preached to Nineveh, they would respond and God wouldn't blow them up anymore. And Jonah wanted Nineveh to be blown up. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? You ever heard that part of Jonah before? He didn't want the turn or burn message. He just wanted the burn message, you know? elderly priest was talking to the young priest one day about all the changes they've been making together. And he said, you know, my son, uh, I I really love the things that we've done, most of them. He said it was a great idea to replace the first four rows of pews with plush bucket theater seats because now they're filling up first. It's front to the back instead of the back to the front like it used to be. The young priest just nodded a little bit. Older priest said, and it was a great idea. You said we needed a little more beat in our music. And when I brought in that rock praise band, he said, you know, it's really amazing what's happened. We got standing room only in our services. And the young priest said, well, I appreciate that, Father. I, I appreciate that you, you know, you're, you're open to these new ideas. Then the priest said, but I think you've gone a little bit too far with the drive through confessional. <clears throat> and the younger priest said, but, but Father, you don't understand. My confessions have doubled and the donations have doubled. And the older priest said, yeah, I, I understand. And I appreciate that, but that neon sign on the roof that says toot and tell or go to hell has got to go. (laughs) Jonah's sign just said, go to hell. Not toot and tell, not turn, just burn. Jonah knew that God was a God of second chances, didn't he? And Jonah knew because God sent a fish to give him one. So even though he had had a second chance, He did not want to give Nineveh a second chance, which is unfortunately a big problem in the American church today. I believe the reason there are 195 million unchurched Americans and we live in the third or fourth largest mission field in the world right now is because the church has been putting up Jonah signs all around saying, you know what? We just care about our people. We just care about ourselves and we can't love you if you're different than us. When Katy Perry first came on the scene, her first song was I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. A pastor somewhere, I 
made his church name go away. Put this on his, on his church sign. I kissed a girl, and I liked it, and then I went to hell. I talked about this in my book, Life on Mission, but I, I've never shown it before because, honestly, I, I'm not trying to pass judgment on this guy. I have done a lot of Jonah things in my life that I'm not proud of, and I probably will do more. Uh, but, but, but the reason that I put it up here today, the reason I wanted to show it, was because I'd never noticed before until this week when I looked at it again, I'd never noticed that there was a, a, a lamb on the sign, and the subheading for the church is finding and feeding his sheep. Does that go together? I mean, this is a, this is a judgment, and this is a... Listen, I, I know this is confusing to you city folk, because you're from Chicago, and, and you don't understand this. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm from the farm. Just trust me when I tell you stuff about farming and all that kind of stuff, okay? Here's the deal. The thing that I know about, about sheep, you can't get sheep to come back to the fold by yelling at them! Come here, you stupid little sheep! <laughs> am I right? Does anybody know about sheep? Am I, am I right or am I right? I, I mean, you don't, you don't gather them up by telling them they're going to hell. That's not how this works, okay? I, I believe in, in hell. I wrote about the motivation for hell in my book. Please read it. I, I think it's an important reason why we are witnesses for Jesus. But, but I don't feel like this sign is a loving warning to those people. I feel like it's a Jonah sign. That's what I feel like. It's, it, it says we're only f- interested in finding lost heterosexual sheep here, and the rest of you we don't care about. But before I go too far down that road, what would your sign say today? What would your sign say this week? All right. I slugged my fiance in an elevator, and I liked it, and I went to hell. Has anybody not seen that video this week, right? And, it, and it's ridiculous, and it makes me angry, and it was so wrong. And, and, and you know, I mean, if I was going to do this, if I'm going to do a sign every week, this would be my sign this week. Well, here's what's wrong with the world today. All right, this guy had his opinions on what was wrong in Katy Perry's first song day. I got my opinions about what's wrong with the world. Men who hit women, that's wrong. We need to do something about it. I hit a woman, and I liked it, and I went to hell. That, that would be the sign. That's, all, that's, that's how we're going to go. If we're going to go down this path, we've got to have a different sign every week. What's the problem in the world? Let's put it on our sign, and let's condemn it. Except at some point, my sign has got to say, I'm greedy and I like it, and I'm going to hell. At some point, my sign has to say, I told a lie, and I liked it, and I went to hell. Because the problem with the sign, the problem with the Jonah attitude, is I'm setting myself up to feel like my junk is not as bad as somebody else's junk. And that's the problem with the American church. The sign should say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and all you other sinners are welcome to join us too. I know I'm probably reading more into this than I should. I just can't imagine anybody from the LGBT community, anybody from the homosexual community, driving by and going, oh, hell, I didn't think of that. I better come to church here on Sunday. They might think the first two words, but they're not going to think the rest of it, right? 
So here's the Jonah question. The Jonah question is this. Do I really want these people to be saved? Those people. Do I really want those people to be saved? You need to be here next week. My friend Caleb Kaltenbach is a pastor from California, good friend of mine. Grew up in a family in Missouri where his parents divorced at age two, and his dad took a homosexual lover, and his mom became a militant lesbian. So he grew up with both parents, you know, splitting and going into this lifestyle, and he grew up with, uh, with his mom and her partner in a, a strongly militant you know, lesbian experience where they were out marching, they were involved in all those kinds of things, and he was taught, he wasn't really taught by his mom, but he learned to hate Christians because he saw all the bad things that Christians did against them and to them as they were protesting them and doing all the things that they, that they did against them. He learned to hate Christians because he always found Jonah-type Christians everywhere he went. As a young child, he remembers thinking, why are these people so mad at me? Why are these people hating me so much? Well, it's because they're Jonah Christians, that's why. They're, 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 they're doing the judgment thing. And it wasn't until high school when he actually met a real disciple of Jesus and started hanging out with some real disciples of Jesus that he understood that God loved him and was a compassionate God. And now he's a pastor. But he's a pastor who's very much determined to make sure that the church does not become the Jonah church and stays the Jesus church. You got to be here for that. Jonah gets worse. Jonah says, oh, Lord, now you just got to kill me. It's better for me to die than to live. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, Jonah's heart and God's heart, they're not together. And God says, Jonah, you're right. I'm compassionate. I'm merciful. You're right. I gave you a fish. I gave you a second chance. I've given you a bunch of chances. I've forgiven you for your stuff. Why can't you forgive other people for their stuff? So who do you, who do you not like? Who's on your list? Let's just think about this for a minute. ISIS is on my list. Take them out. Get them out. Whatever you got to do, we got to stop this, Right? People who enslave children in the sex industry, they're on my list. I want to go Liam Neeson on all of them. I would have no problem with that. And the truth of the matter is, we do need to stop them. Don't misinterpret this. We do need to stop them. We need to stop ISIS. We need to stop you know, people that are abusing other people. We need to stop that. But I can still tell them about Jesus once I do that. Seriously, men who abuse women... This NFL deal, that, that needs to stop. That's wrong. But the question is not right or wrong because their wrong isn't any more wrong than my wrong. The question is, could they be redeemed? And you know what? It doesn't matter. Because uh, as far as I know, I'm not the chaplain for the Baltimore Ravens. So I don't have to deal with, you know, with Ray. I, I don't have to deal with that situation. And you probably don't either. What you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, is what about the people I might actually come into contact with? What does God think about them? Does he love all of them? See, my Ninevites not, might not be people that I hate. My Ninevites might just be the people that I don't care enough about to bother telling them about Jesus. To bother telling them that God is the gracious and the compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and mercy. 
If I don't want to tell them that, then they're my Nineveh. Jonah went out, sat down at, the east, at a place east of the city. He made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade. I love this. And waited to see what would happen to this city. I mean, at this point, he's still kind of like holding on. Maybe God's still going to blow it up. Maybe God was just messing with me. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease the discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. I love these things that God provides. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah said, I do. I'm angry enough to die. And this guy's a little melodramatic. But the Lord said, dude, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But you're not concerned about Nineveh. How could you be concerned about this vine and not be concerned about Nineveh? Nineveh has more than, this is a euphemism for how many kids are there, has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. All right, what is that? That, that's, a, that's a small child. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? I want you to see that because that's the last line of Jonah. Should I not be concerned about this great city? It's the last thing Jonah writes for us is God's question. 120,000 children, should I not be concerned about them? I mean, I know you may be mad at the parents, you may not like the parents, but what about their children? What about how much better their lives would be if they had God? Think about breaking the chains of evil and oppression around the world. It's by telling people about Jesus. It's about getting evil out of their homes and getting Jesus into their homes. Think about even the cattle are going to be better in the world if people know about God. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Even, even their animals are going to be better off. So what's the problem? How could you be more concerned about a vine than you are about Nineveh? Well, it's pretty simple, isn't it? What did the vine represent? The vine represented his comfort. The reason he was mad about the vine was not about the vine. It was about him. It was about his comfort. And God has asked him to go to a place where he was uncomfortable and he didn't like it. And God made him sit there and and watch what was going to happen in Nineveh, and it made a scorching east wind come along. But there was a vine there, and now it was gone. He was out of his comfort zone. And the reason that the church in the United States of America is failing is because we can't get out of our comfort zone long enough to care about the people around us. I quote this all the time, and I will always quote it all the time, partially because I wish my last name was Stud, but this is a great quote. Some wish to live within the sound of the chapel bell. You can put this on my tombstone. Some wish to live within the sound of the chapel bell, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Why aren't more Christians running a mission a yard from the gates of hell? Because it's comfortable by the chapel. It's comfortable. We can all hang out in there and be comfortable. It's not comfortable a yard from the gates of hell. It's hot. The people are weird. They have problems that I don't understand. What's the problem with the American church? It's about our comfort zone. For our life to be on mission, our compassion has got to be greater than our comfort. Here's the equation. Our compassion has to be greater 
than our comfort. And listen, I don't think this is about going on a foreign missions trip. I want you to do that. I think that's important. I don't think this is about going to Iraq or Syria or even Africa. I think God has you right where he wants you right now. This is not about you learning to love somebody from a terrorist organization. This is about learning to love your neighbor. That's the second commandment. It's not to go love somebody that you don't know. It's not to be in judgment about somebody that you don't know. It's to love your neighbor. And the Jonah question we have to ask ourselves over and over again as a church is this. Do I really want those people to be saved? And that's a question we have to answer. And I'm not talking about those people over there. I'm talking about those people right next to you. The guy in the cubicle next to you. Strange smells come from that cubicle. You don't like that guy. You're not sure about that guy. He's a little bit weird. He's Nineveh. If you can't pop your head up over there and engage him in a conversation and ask him about his family and get to know him and spend a little time with him, he's Nineveh for you. Does Jonah ever get it figured out? Again, Jonah wrote this book. I think that's why he put it the way he did. I can't wait to meet the guy. Because basically, you know, instead of writing all the great things he did in his life, he wrote to us about the, the, the two really bad attitudes that he had as a prophet of God. He was a great prophet of God. The two bad attitudes. One was saying no to God, and one was not caring about Nineveh. Because he ends the book with, should I not be concerned about that great city? It's open-ended. Which is really interesting to me when you parallel it with the teachings of Jesus. Because a lot of times Jesus left things open-ended. And there's one story that just stuck out to me as I was thinking about Jonah. And it's, Je- it's my favorite story. It's our theme story as a church, if you don't know. It's the prodigal son story in Luke 15. Because we're all about the prodigals. We want to go find the prodigals. We want to go find the people in Nineveh. And we want to help them understand that God is a God of compassion. But in the story, it's almost the same kind of story. Jesus tells a story. Prodigal son goes wastes all his dad's money in wild living. He comes home. And the dad, instead of being mad, just like, just like God with Nineveh, instead of being mad, throwing lightning bolts at him, telling him he's got to be a slave, telling him he's got to work off the money, instead of that, he throws his arms open. He puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, kills a fatted calf and has a big stinking party because he's excited that he came home. It's just like Jonah chapters 1 through 3. God is a God of mercy. He's waiting for you to come home. That's how it went. And then Jesus doesn't stop. He gives us Jonah chapter 4. He gives us the Jonah character in this story. Who is it? It's the older brother who's been out in the field and he comes home and he realizes dad is a God of compassion. Dad is a, is a dad who loves. Sometimes he loves more than I wish he did, and he's mad about it. And he says, what about me? He doesn't want to get out of his comfort zone. And the dad has this conversation with the older brother in Luke 15. He basically says, son, you know I love you, and I've always loved you, and everything I have is yours. But should I have not been concerned about your lost brother? How could I not be concerned about your lost brother? How could I not be concerned about Nineveh? It's the same story, don't you see? It's just, it's just incredible for me to think about how many churches are, are missing the point. They're missing the point that all of these people are around us and the fields are white to the harvest and we're just too darn comfortable. 
And I'll leave you with this question. Aren't you glad the person who introduced you to Jesus had the heart of God and not the heart of Jonah? Because I am. We're going to pass the communion, and uh, we're going to pass it while we do a song, a really good song to help you kind of meditate for a minute. If you're, uh, if you're not a part of Parkview, we welcome you to commune with us. If you're a believer, you don't have to be a part of our fellowship. We welcome you here. Just take both cups out and hold them, and we'll all commune together in unison. Um, let me read this for you while we prepare our hearts for this. great writer named Donald Miller wrote a really great book, way better than my book, called Blue Like Jazz, um, where he talked about this whole attitude and, and how he, as a, as a young Christian on a college campus in uh, Oregon or Washington someplace, maybe Northern California, he was at this really liberal college campus that was really pagan, and he and some other Christians were trying to figure out how they could how they could do something to minister to the people on their campus. So they did something really, really weird. They set up a tent in the middle of campus, and they put out a big sign that said, Confession Booth. Confession Booth. So this guy walks up, Jake. He walks up to the confession booth. We sat down. I shook his hand. I said, how you doing? Good. He says, so what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to tell you all my juicy gossip? I said, No. Okay, what? What's this game? Well, what are we playing? He says, it's not really a game. It's just a confession thing. He said, well, you want me to confess my sins, right? No, no, that's not what we're doing, man. Well, what's the deal? Well, we're a group of Christians here on campus. Okay, he says, strange place for Christians, but I, I'm listening. Anyway, there's a group of us, a few of us, who are thinking about the way Christians have sort of wronged people over time. You know, the Crusades and all that stuff. He said, well, I don't think you had anything to do with that. I said, no, I didn't, but the thing is, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that he is God and all of that, and he represented certain ideas that we've not done a very good job of representing. He asked us to represent him, and we haven't done well. Okay, he said. So there's a group of us on campus who wanted to confess to you. He said, wait a minute, you're, you're confessing to me? Yeah, I'm confessing to you. He said, you're serious? And this laugh turned to a straight face. I said, yeah. He said, you don't need to do that. I said, no, I really do. Well, what are you confessing? He asked. I shook my head and looked at the ground. I said, everything, man. There's a lot. I'll keep it short. For example, Jesus said to feed the poor and heal the sick, and I've never really done much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me, and I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened. There's more. He said, it's all right, man. I said, well, I'm really sorry for all of that. Jake said, I forgive you. He sat there and looked at the floor into the fire of the candle that was sitting there and said, this is really cool what you guys are doing. A lot of people need to hear this. Why, I said, have we hurt a lot of people? He said, you haven't hurt me. I just think it isn't very popular to be a Christian, you know, especially at a place like this. I don't think too many people have been hurt. I just think most people have a strong reaction to what they see on television. That's not the whole picture, I said. That's just television. I have friends who are giving their lives to feed the poor and to defend the defenseless, and they are doing it for Christ. You really believe in Jesus, don't you? He said, yeah, I do. I mean, I have doubts at times, but mostly I believe in him. There's something inside of me that causes me to believe, and I can't explain it. Jake said, you said earlier there was a central message of Christ. I don't really want to become a Christian, but what's the message? 
The message is that man sinned against God and God gave the world over to man. And if somebody wanted to be rescued out of that, if somebody, for instance, finds it all very empty, that Christ will rescue them if they want. If they ask for forgiveness for being part of the rebellion of God, God will forgive them. What's the deal with the cross, Jake asked. God says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus died so that he could take our sin for us. And if we have faith in him, then we're Christians. What do you believe about God, I asked him. He said, I don't know. I I guess I didn't believe for a long time. You know, the science is all so sketchy. But it does feel like there's somebody responsible for this world we live in, so it's confusing. I said, Jake, if you ever want to know God, you can. I'm just saying, if you ever want to call on Jesus, he will be there. Thanks, man, he said. I believe that you mean that. His eyes even started tearing up. This is so cool what you guys are doing. I'm going to tell all my friends about this. I don't know where to thank you or not, I laughed. I have to sit here and confess all my junk. He looked at me very seriously and he said, it's worth it. God, as we come to communion right now, we can only say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, because that's what we are. We're not any better than anybody else in the world because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And will you please help the heart of Parkview and the heart of the churches that are going to do life on mission around the country, help these hearts be expanded to a place where we get our compassion level greater than our comfort level and we get out of our little shell and we get away from the chapel bell and we get back out there where you want us to be. Loving the Ninevites. And Lord, if there are people here today who think that there's no way that you could possibly love them, please help them to know, A, you know absolutely everything they've ever done and B, you still love them unconditionally, and if they'll turn and, and re- run back to you and back to your house, you'll throw your arms open and throw them a party. That's what you do. That's who you are. You can't help it. Lord, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that gets it. We still do dumb things. We, we still aren't perfect. I'm certainly not. I still have my Jonah-type attitudes. I'm so thankful that Jonah got it and that Jonah was honest enough with us to tell us when he had a bad attitude about these people that needed him. And Lord, I pray for revival. I pray for revival in the United States of America and the world because Christians finally realize they need to get out of their comfort zone. Be with us as we commune right now. In Jesus' name we pray.